This is John Byrne, the lead pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and this is the Grace Deep Dive Podcast, recorded deep in the depths of the Grace Fellowship basement here in Lakewood, Colorado. We dive a little deeper into Sunday sermon. I'm Johnny McCloskey, and I'll be your host on the Grace Deep Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Grace Deep Dive Podcast, where uh, I am put, putting together my resume right now, actually. <laughs> is that right? John, I was wondering if you'd be my reference for... Uh, uh, for no, my next job. No, no, oh, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in case you're wondering what in the world is going on, uh, this Sunday was we're still in the series New Life, and you talked about the title was Who's Your Reference? And you actually mentioned that your mom said that you were top three. No, no, top, favorite. Mom is oh, favorite. was your favorite? Your yeah, aunt, yeah. you're like top. My aunt was uh, my top five for my aunt as far as preachers are concerned. Okay, well, I actually talked to your mom to see if that was true. Oh, is that right? Just, you know, because I wanted to be the reference to your reference, you know? So I emailed her, and apparently she said that your preaching is top five. Oh, is that right? But then I asked, top five what? And then she didn't answer that. She didn't answer She didn't <laughs> say it. So it could be <laughs> top, top five. five worst. could be the top five. Yeah, right. Yeah, so. Well, doesn't top top mean top? I mean, that's. Top's not I, always good. Dude, you're taking like my one fan away from me. I know. I'm sorry, John. I, I got like one person. One fan. Yeah, <laughs> I got one, my mom. I'm sure you have more fans. Well, <laughs> may, maybe. Maybe, maybe. not. Maybe. But yeah, so we're in the, uh, the series. Uh, all right. The, the series uh, sermon was Who's Your Reference? And I actually really thought that was good. Actually, I like the, the idea of, of really wanting to please God and really yeah. caring about what he thinks, especially in a culture where we really do go for the uh, the likes the, of, of, right. our, of our the culture, likes. of our friends, you know? The hearts on Instagram. Yeah, the, the hearts and likes. likes on Instagram? What are they called? They're, I don't even know. You, I guess you like it. It's still but like it. But you click it. a heart. It yeah, it's like, like a, a heart. little icon of a heart. Yeah. It's really actually confusing like. because... You're saying you like it, but you show that heart. you love it. Right, I know. I hearts know. usually love, but... Hearts usually love... Yeah, Facebook definitely thumbs up and liking. I guess that's closer. That's pretty close. Closer. But anyways, uh, we digress. But uh, what is... You know, in, in a world where we do, we, we do um, try to please, and there's obviously criticism all over the place. Uh, what is the correlation with being critical of others and being critical of ourselves? Is there a correlation there? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there is, I think, uh, obviously, you know, we can be critical of ourselves in good and in healthy and unhealthy ways. Um, and we can be critical of others in healthy and unhealthy ways. I think that's true too, but you know, we've always got to, got to keep in mind, you know, who, who is our audience? Who are, who are we trying to please? Um, you know, as we do a podcast, we're doing it for an audience. You know, I, I think there's probably at least four or five people that listen to our podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, are we doing it to please them or is there another audience that takes priority? And I would, I would argue there is, and that, and that's, and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that was kind of the point of the sermon, right? Is, is who are we trying to please? Please, are we trying to tickle the ears of men as, you know, um, or are we trying to honor God in our, in our actions and our speech? Um, and, and that makes a big difference. I think, you know, when, when I think about even in my own life, sometimes I, I find myself being critical of myself, yeah. which can be good, but then I realize sometimes it bleeds over into being critical of others yeah. and kind of vice versa. If I'm, when I'm critical of others, I know it's going to come back onto me. I just have a critical, na- I, I do, I kind of develop a critical nature yeah. and then it's, it's, it does, it gets me later, you know? Right. I think it's probably a good idea, a good, good thing, like you said, to be healthy with our criticism of ourselves and others. Yeah. And then if it, if it goes beyond that healthy, um, Which, zone. Yeah. Well, and we should probably define that. I mean, you know, what is healthy criticism, criticism versus unhealthy criticism? And because I think that's really important. And sometimes, People critique things in ways that really have no um, real substance behind the criticism. It's just a preference. It's almost like an ego thing, too. 
Yeah, like you know, we'll, we'll criticize you know the way somebody speaks or the way some a, a band plays music or or we'll criticize the way somebody dresses or the way somebody walks or runs or or what our favorite football team. You know, I mean, there, there's some, a lot of those things really have no significant um, impact on. On much of anything, and and I think that you know we ought to ask those questions. You know, are we are we just critical in our nature? That's unhealthy. We don't. And we can talk about our wanting our football team to do better and things like that. That's fine. Like as far as that goes, but but we do that in more significant personal ways too, right? Like so, we we criticize or judge somebody by their appearance. And Paul talks about that in the passage we looked at uh, in Second Corinthians, and um, and and he says you, you're judging by appearances. And so there's there's. And he's basically saying that's not worthy of, of being critical about. Um, there's other more significant things. Well, I think even just like you talk about even criticizing our families, you know, or yeah. our kids or our wives or our husbands, you know, yeah. we, we start to just become really negative. Yeah. And I even like to think about, you talked about the sports analogy, that the armchair quarterback. I just love that um, analogy because... Because you love being an armchair quarterback. Yeah, it was so much, it's so much <laughs> easier. To be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it's so much easier and it's so destructive. But the reality is, is there's no... It's the laziest thing in the world. It's, it's the total laziest thing. And this happens a lot with, you know, honestly, in the church and with preachers, with worship leaders and all these kinds of things, right? It happens a lot. Like, you know, people who have never done any public speaking or are terrified of standing up in front of people will criticize preachers. And, I'm, and I sit there and oftentimes, and this is not a defense of me, by the way, if you, if you think I'm a bad preacher, that's fine. I do the best I can with, with the, you know, the gifts God's given me and I work really hard at it. But, um, but, you know, but it's really easy to sit in a chair in a congregation and go, and go, wow, you know, he should have used a different analogy or wow, he should have really presented that better. Wow, he should have really done this or that or the other thing. Or same with worship leaders, right? Or all kinds of things, you know, and we get so critical as if we could do all these things better. And the reality is, man, that's just a shallow criticism. It's so shallow. Yeah. And 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 to to now if I get up and preach heresy. Oh, preach different. things that are that's unbiblical, a healthy then you ought to be critical of that. Right. And that's a healthy criticism. And and so I think it's really important to distinguish between those two things, right? Like, like, you know, he used the word like too much in the last five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, or, I do. um, that's mine. Or yeah. That's yours. Uh, and, and so we, we criticize those things and we go, wow, that's really shallow. Mm. You know, how about, how about considering, uh, the themes of the message, you know, and, and how, and whether truth was presented or not. Those are, those are, those are things that are worthy of discernment and criticism. Well, I feel like also too, it's like, it's, it's worthy to listen to the criticism when the other person is out there doing what they're, what they're being critical with. In in a sense, you know, I always think, I always watch comedians. I go, Oh, that guy, it's not very funny or she's Mm -hmm. not very funny. I'm like, I'm, I'm funnier than that. And I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm not out there doing it. So <laughs> right. really I don't have anything to say. And it's really nice to see like the, say the comedian or something who is funny and he, and they do have a stand up show or whatever they're, they're out there doing it and they give helpful, um, criticisms right. to help the other person. Yeah. To, to, to be constructive. Down. Yeah. It's all about being constructive with it. Which by the way, sometimes we think our criticisms are constructive when they're not. And we should really be careful of that too. Yeah. You know, I mean, anytime we're going to criticize somebody and Paul, Paul faced significant criticism in Corinth, right? Like he was, and we're going to talk about that more this Sunday too, as well. You know, these super apostles that kind of, uh, we've been talking about them, you know, but, but they, they kind of, that term comes from the passage we're going to be looking at on Sunday, but 
you know, he was, he was facing this criticism that was, um, that was not based on anything substantive. It was based on, on shallow things. And, and we need to be careful of that, you know, that we're not doing that same thing. And so as we are kind of even criticized, like you said, it happens all the time. Right. There is a way to respond to that. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned being meek and humble is definitely yeah. a good way to do that. It seems counterproductive. It, it does. But it works. Well, here's what happens, you know, and this, this is really difficult for people, right? Because we become defensive and defensiveness, by the way, is based on insecurity. In other words, I'm defensive because I'm insecure. And, and that isn't a cut, really. It's just a reality, right? We all have insecurities. Trust me, my, I have really significant insecurities. And, you know, a lot of people think I'm a confident person. And, and in some ways, I suppose I am. But in many ways, I'm not. But I portray confidence even when I'm insecure about things. And, and, and there's a lot of people that that's how they handle those things is they just kind of... Uh, fake it till you make it type thing. Yeah, fake <laughs> it till you make it kind of thing. I, I, hopefully, I'm not faking anything, but... But the point is, the point is that that even in the midst of of being attacked, my goal is, even if it's in an area where I'm insecure, my goal is not to express that insecurity because that almost always comes out in defensiveness. And in other words, I'm being attacked, so I attack, mm-hmm. right? And I don't want to do that. And that and that's arrogance and pride that that are a result of that insecurity, right? I, I have to defend myself because they're exposing a weakness in me. And, and that's not the, that's not a good way to go. Everybody has weaknesses and, and being humble and recognizing that and, and, and knowing that, that whatever that weakness is, that is not what defines me. And that, that, that's really, really important. Yeah. My weaknesses are not what defines me. Neither are my strengths, by the way. Oh, that's a good point. Um, but but when we're being attacked, it's in, in an area where we're strong, it's very, it's a lot easier um, for people to kind of blow it off, right. And not become defensive if they know they're strong in that area. But if they're weak in, in an area and they're being attacked in that place, then, then people become defensive. Well, I think it's also wise to be, to be open to who's criticizing you. Uh, well, you know, absolutely. Definitely. And they don't need in the moment you can't say, well, you're this or you're that. I mean, right. it's always good to go. It's always good when you're being criticized to go, okay, I'm just going to listen. And then later I'm going to filter it out because I know they're a critical person or they yeah. really aren't, they're an armchair quarterback and they just bark orders and they don't do anything that they're saying, but there's always benefit to taking pieces of criticism and growing from it. It's yeah. almost like you're like, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm actually going to come out of this conversation better than I was. Yeah. And even if they're a jerk, you're, you know, you're going to come out better in the end. But we also had to notice that Paul isn't totally silent on the issue. Like he doesn't just take it and then go, Oh, okay. And then walk away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important too. You can be humble without, and, and not be, and not become defensive, but still give a defense. Well, that's the thing is like the reality is there is an opportunity to criticize back. In a well, in a nice way, I, yeah. I don't know to if I put it that way, but but to to openly evaluate the criticism so that the criticism is exposed for what it is. Okay, maybe that's a better way to. I know that's a lengthier way to put it, but maybe it's a little bit. Well, I think it's clearer. yeah. I think the bottom line is you, you really do have to consider the source. I know when I went back to, I worked uh, at a Starbucks and I went back and and I remember when I I remember when I would would make the drinks on the espresso bar. 
I would get very defensive because I always felt like I wanted to please everybody. And I wanted to be the best or the fastest or whatever it was. So that even though I was I was good, if, if someone had said anything about, right, I would get very angry and I would start to attack that person. Right. And I was like, what is that? What is that? Why do I do that? And I think the reality is, is I had a, such a strong desire to please somebody that if they found anything that was not worthy of pleasing them, I would get really angry about it. Well, you probably thought it was a personal attack on you. Well, yeah, but I really wanted to please them, which is the whole point of that. And I think the, the re, I came to the realization of, I would rather just say, okay, it's better for me to say, okay, you know, I'll work on that than to attack them back right. because now I'm not pleasing them at all. Right. I'm coming after them. Right. And, and I kind of realized, okay, just kind of just listen to the criticism and, and take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, you can always get better and they don't, hate you right because they're criticizing you. right it's okay um and i you know just the the pleasing of men thing is is a dangerous thing it, it is and galatians 1 10 talks about that you know am i now trying to win the approval of men or of humans or of god or am i trying to please people if i were still trying to please people i would not be a servant of christ and right. I, how do we as us as people who are trying to please one mm-hmm. but we live in a world where we're supposed to please many Right. How do we kind of balance that and be that servant of Christ? Yeah, I, well, and that's that's really hard because there is a place to please people. It's not like pleasing people is a bad thing in and of itself, right? Like, you know, we want to make our, our bosses happy with our work. That's that's a good desire. Um, we want to um, make our parents happy. If we're a kid, maybe we want to make our parents happy with our behavior and, and those kinds of things. That's a, that's a good instinct in general. And, and we ought not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to just go, well, pleasing people is always bad. Well, no, it's not. It's not always bad. But again, it's a, it's a matter of degree or a matter of, um, hierarchy in some ways, right? So who's the primary audience with how we live, how we work, how we speak, how all those things, who's the primary audience audience? Well, it's God, it's Jesus Christ. That's who, that's our primary audience, right? So we need to go about life in a way that glorifies and honors him first and foremost. Secondarily, there's times to please people and then there's times to upset people and, and knowing what those times are and who those people are matters. And so Paul in this text is, is basically, he's not trying to upset the Corinthian church in general, but he does get defensive of himself in, a, in a, an appropriate way and defends himself against these super apostles that we're going to, again, that, that term comes up in the next passage that we're looking at on Sunday. And, and he gives reason to trust him to the tr- Corinthian church overall and, and says these, these others, these critics, they've got it all wrong. Their, their, their values are all messed up. And so they're valuing the wrong things, and 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 because of that, here are the things that you sh- that should be valued, and these are the, these are the reasons that that I should be trusted. Mm. And so there is a time to defend oneself to the, to the right people and in the right ways, um, and pick the right people to please. But sometimes that pleasing somebody means changing their perspective on something too, right? And so so in other words, especially if you are doing the right thing and in the right ways. And you attempt to please somebody, or, or um, and and they they criticize you, then you need to help them understand why their perspective is mistaken. Okay, uh, yeah, you said something, and I kind of I kind of got sidetracked there for a second. Outside because I talk so long. No, no, you got. Yeah, you know, it's funny, yeah, because you'll have like, oh, I was like, oh, that's interesting, and then I'll, I'll want to say something about it, and then I forget about it. Um, 
But, you know, it's just important that we have our identity in Christ, mainly. Yeah. Because if, oh, I think I remember what I was going to say. Um, there is something to correcting, almost like correcting the person in front of the audience. Because you're almost trying to, to defend the, like, to teach the audience. That is a teachable moment. I was criticized for this this stuff. And I'm going to tell the audience, since you were, uh, saw it, I'm going to say, hey, look, maybe yeah. not necessarily even to the person criticizing, but just to them. Hey, look, just so you know. These these guys are are wrong. They're focusing on the wrong things, and I just want you to know. I'm going to correct them publicly, but mostly for your sake, um, than for their sake. I think sometimes that happens. Yeah, and it, and it, again, it depends on how the criticism was brought, right? If it's brought in a public way, then you defend it in a public way. Yeah, and I think that's really important. If you if it's brought in a private way, then you defend it in a private way. That makes sense. And I and I think that's. That's probably not a hundred percent of the time true, but pretty close. It's a good you know, rule to follow. It's a good rule of thumb. Okay. And and so and so, you know, if somebody comes and just like, you know, I'm a pastor, I get critics. That's just the way it is. Right? Anybody who's in leadership gets crit they have critics in any way. Um and so, and so understanding the, who those critics are, and then if they bring a criticism to you privately, then then defend it privately. Mm. You know, if they send me an email, then we can have a conversation about it via email or get together, have coffee or whatever, the, whatever the case may be, whatever is appropriate. Um, but if they bring criticism publicly, well, okay, now, now we, now I've got to defend it publicly. And this has happened where people have brought criticisms and this is, if you are going to criticize, this is something to keep in mind. Yeah, just be careful because, yeah, you, if you if you start talking about it with yeah. five, ten people, then we got to now bring those five, ten people into it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where, you know, in church world, this happens a lot. Like, you know, people will, will talk amongst themselves about whatever it is, you know. Um, the, whatever the, and it happens outside the church too. It happens in businesses and things too, right? You'll get this group of people and they're all criticizing whoever the leadership is or the way things are, the culture. And, and honestly, and it's just within that circle and they begin, it becomes this, uh, you know, like, like tornado, if you will, of, of criticism that just sucks everything in and nobody can get out of it. And, and, and the people that can actually speak uh, to it intelligently and with reason aren't being inc included. And so then it just becomes and it poisons everybody there. And, and instead of it being brought to somebody who can actually do something about mm -hmm. it. Um, and so when we, when we criticize, we ought to, we ought to be, be smart about it. You know, now Paul was facing something different, right? Because this was a public criticism brought by people who were commending themselves or promoting themselves. It was about the, about the self-promotion. In essence, they were kind of infringing on the, on the work that Paul had done when he had brought the gospel to Corinth and, and, um, and this church and just, and had already started to disciple these people and those kinds of things. And, and now they kind of jump in and want to take over. And that's kind of what's happening in the, in Corinth. And so, um, and so Paul's defending, he's kind of the shepherd of the flock defending against the wolves that are trying to yeah. eat his sheep. Almost teaching his flock. Yeah. Yeah. Against the wolves. Yeah. yeah. Well, you talked about just, uh, having an identity, kind of switching gears a little bit, living with an identity in Christ, not an identity in this, in this culture and society. How, yeah. how practically does that work? Cause I mean, I'm looking at you right now. I think you have a Minnesota twins hat. Yes. It's like your identity is found in the twins. <laughs> Just by looking at you. Just a fan. Yeah. No, actually I don't yeah. even recognize that. Has that, is that right? What's yeah. It's twins C? hat. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. They're doing well. What does the C mean? Twin cities. Twin cities. St. Paul, oh. Minneapolis, twin cities. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I don't yeah. think I've ever noticed that. <laughs> so anyways, no, no, I know you're not. I know your identity is in Christ, but how do we practically 
yeah. develop that. Well, I, th- I think what's important about that, it, it's really a discipline in a lot of ways. And this is what people understand is, is we, we naturally will find our, our identity in a lot of things, right? Like whatever it is, um, you know, our work, uh, a hobby, um, and we'll go, wow, without that, it really changes who I am. And, and the reality is this, you know, I got a, I got a friend, his name's Ben. I don't know if I've talked about, I might have talked about him in the past, but he, um, was camping pretty good athlete, young guy, um, was camping and was doing martial arts and I do some martial arts and stuff. So, so I know that's how I know him. And, uh, he had a tree fall on him, lost the use of his legs, he's a paraplegic and he's in a wheelchair now. And so now how does that change his identity? Well, if he finds his identity in doing martial arts, it's, it really damages his identity. Right. But if he finds his identity in, in, in Christ, well, it, it, it may change his identity in some ways, but it doesn't, it doesn't damage it, at least not in a way that is, um, irreparable. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And so, and so the core of our identity and, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know his necessarily his faith background. I mean, I do a little bit, but I'm not make commenting about his faith background. I'm just commenting about ours. Right. If, so if yeah. we were to, if we were in his shoes, so to speak, and we lost the use of our legs, that may have been a bad metaphor, but if we lost the use of our legs, does that change our identity? If we can't do something, if we can't, if we can't go outside and work and mow the lawn because we can't walk, does that change our identity? No, our identity is found in Christ. It's found in being made in the image of God. And quite frankly, we're going to get a new body, you know, when, when, when we're glorified. Um, so, so all of those things change how we see things. So God, so a lot of things can be taken from us or criticized that does not affect the core of who we are. And if we are first and foremost, uh, image bearers of God and, um, co-heirs, that means, you know, co-recipients of God's blessing, if you will, um, uh, with Christ, if we're co-heirs with Christ, if we are adopted into God's family, then that is the core of our identity. And so it doesn't mean that other things don't affect our identity, but that's the core of it. That's where we find meaning, um, in the most significant way. And so we get fired from a job. Okay. Well, maybe that job wasn't for us. Maybe that's not where our skill set's best used, or maybe it's a, a lesson we learn, or there's all kinds of ways to deal with that, that, that don't impact who I am in Christ. And so being, and, and so understanding who we are in Christ, being able to under, understand our identity, identity enables us to deal with a lot of the other things in life that aren't at the core when we recognize that. Yeah. It's almost like if we were to even pause and, and think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I don't know. It's just so impactful to think that cause you, we live in a world where I can get a phone call today. Yeah. That could change my life drastically yeah. or something can happen on the way home. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. The reality is, and I think sometimes as human beings, we try to put ourselves and our things and our, our identity in a bubble and we're just, please don't let anything disrupt this. Yeah. And it's so, there's so much anxiety to that. Yes. There's so much fear. There's so much um, just hopelessness. But the reality is, if our identity is in Christ, then we live on this life. We serve him. We love him. We know him. We're going to die. Yeah. We're going to be with him forever. So really the things that happen in this life really don't matter. If to that, I mean, yeah, ultimately, I mean, obviously they, they impact they us. Matter, they sure, do but, matter us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the negative things, sorry, yeah. the negative things don't matter. They, I mean, they, they affect us, but they don't ultimately matter. Yeah. That's our full on purpose. And I think yeah. sometimes I get in that mindset too, where, I see things like, you know, like little things, my, maybe little idols will crumble that I find my identity in. Yeah. 
and I get really frustrated or discouraged and, and sad or like, I don't want to die. I don't want to yeah. ever die. You know, I love this life. And the reality is, is maybe my identity isn't quite where I want it to be. Maybe I need to be a little more focused because I should be as Paul, you know, I right. want to be with Jesus. I want to, I want to go and, and, and be with him forever and to see him and, and be glorified uh, with him. You know, um, right. I want that to happen. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't like there's anything wrong with loving this life. I mean, God gave it no, to I us. Think, you know, Jesus came that we have, might have life and life more abundantly, right? And, and that's, you know, is that speaking of eternal life? Yeah, I think it is. But I think it's also speaking of life on this earth. It's, it's a both, it's an already, not yet kind of thing. It's both now and for eternity. And, and, and that's so, so true that we, you know, this life is important. It's not ultimately important. Um, there's, there's a, there's a greater purpose. And, and I think that's what's important when it comes to dealing with criticism, when it comes to defending ourselves, is it, am I defending myself for the sake of something greater or am I defending myself just so that I feel better about myself? Mm -hmm. And those are two totally different things. If it's just so I feel better about myself, well, okay. I don't know if that's a real good reason to be defensive and, but there are good, you know, Paul defends himself and his ministry, not so that he feels better about himself, but so that he can proclaim the gospel. You know, in the passage in, in, in first Corinthians 10, it talks about how, <clears throat> how the church in Corinth can be an outpost, if you will, so that the gospel could be spread even further. Paul talks about how we brought the gospel to you. And now these super apostles are kind of infringing on that kind of taking over and, and, uh, you know, uh, harvesting the harvest that isn't theirs. If you, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and, and Paul saying, Hey, wait a minute. Number one, your gospel is not right, which is what we're going to talk about on Sunday. Number two, this isn't your, you didn't, you didn't bring the gospel here. We did. We're discipling this, this church, not you. And there's reason for that. And, and, and that's going to be an outpost so that the gospel can go beyond Corinth. Sounds like he's defending, uh, a, a strategic military post. Well, I want this post to flourish so that we can continue to thrive and push outward. Absolutely. And, and he even uses that kind of language, right? This battle we fight. It's not the kind of battle that the world fights. The world fights differently. The world fights with, you know, rhetorical tricks and spin machines and, and those kinds of things. But we're fighting, uh, the, the, we're fighting with truth and empowered arguments uh, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowered arguments. And, and we're, we're taking every thought captive, which isn't his own thoughts. It's their thoughts. He's taking their thoughts captive for Christ so that they will be convinced of the truth of the gospel and the importance of bringing it to that, to bring it out further to the world. And so I'm using my hands a lot, which you guys yeah. can't see. I just noticed that. I'm, I'm like Dodge. I'm do bobbing and weaving. Is that what bobbing, it is? Yeah, bobbing it's bobbing and weaving. Yeah. 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 Very good. good. Good boxing terms. Yeah, yeah really. I'm, but I'm exhausted. Some good yeah. fighting. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but but that I think that's really the point is that is that Paul's defending for the sake of the gospel and, and that Corinth can be an outpost so that the gospel can be spread further. And you think about where Corinth is and it's like a trading route and so it's it's a strategic place so that the people that come through there and are trading and goods and all these different things they go to other places and so that being a, an outpost for the gospel so that the gospel can be shared there and spread there and those people discipled and then bring the gospel with them when they you know when they go back to do business at home and then they come back and so so the Corinth becomes a strategic place and so Paul's defending that mm. that's worth defending not so that he feels better about himself as a matter of fact um he kind of does does the opposite we'll see that on sunday can you can you tell me real quick so you mentioned the super apostles yeah what what i 
I think I missed that. Did you did you mention what they were or what they were doing or? Uh, I didn't, and maybe we'll wait till next week because okay. we're going to talk about them more specifically on Sunday. So ask me that question again next week. Okay, cool. Um, we'll continue. So it sounds like um, when I wrote this question, it, it didn't really apply. I mean, it, it made more sense in my mind at the point at the time I wrote it, but. It's obviously it's okay to be critical. Sure, it's okay to, to judge things. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, we have to. So I was going to ask you. So discernment. How does that kind of play? You know, as kind of like an, a judgment. You know, some yeah. of us have the gift of discernment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so being able to look at a situation almost beyond the surface and go, I just something just does not seem right yeah. here. You're kind of judging a little Absolutely, bit. Absolutely, of course it, you are. Is that that's a good thing? Yeah, discernment is super super important, right? Um, here here's the problem with the gift of discernment is. Um, or discernment in general. Some people think they have it and they don't, um, you know? Um, and so we, we, we need to tread carefully about that, even if we think we have the gift. And by the way, just because some spiritual gift profile told you you had the gift of discernment, that doesn't mean you have the gift of discernment. Yeah. It's, it means maybe you do. You know, it could be. Spiritual gift profiles are not, you know... They weren't designed by God himself or anything like that. They're designed by humans. And so they, they have flaws what? and errors. John. I know. I know. And we, we use those from time to time, but I'm always cautious about it because people, you know, especially Christians have been around a long time, especially in the eighties and nineties, even early two thousands, people are like, Oh yeah, take your, what's your spiritual gift? What's your top three? You know, and all this stuff. And everybody get excited about it. We kind of, we don't talk about that as much. Um, and it's kind of intentional just because I think, understanding our spiritual gifts is it should be a little bit more experiential Mm -hmm. not that those profiles and those questionnaires aren't helpful they can be when understood properly um you know but But just because they'll be damaging they can also be damaging right and so we kind of we kind of hold them very loosely so just because you you scored high on a profile in the area of discernment oh i have the gift of discernment well maybe Mm -hmm. you might you at least think you do um that's that's probably more what those profiles measures how you think about yourself. Um, but we don't always think about ourselves in the most real ways. Yeah. And so, so you might have the gift of discernment, but it's important for everyone to exercise discernment the, the best they can, especially when it comes to the gospel. And Paul's going to really dive into that in, in chapter 11 as we get there. And it's going to be, you know, he's going to talk about discernment in a very important way. And so we need to always exercise it, but according to God's word, not according to our preferences, not according to how we grew up, not according to, you know, tradition or anything like that, but according to scripture and according, and, and, and so that's why it's so important for us to develop a biblical worldview so that we can understand the world around us the way God understands the world and use that as our discerning lens. Hmm. Well, thanks, John. Uh, I had a question from uh, one of our listeners. You did? Yeah. In 2 Good. Corinthians 10, 5. Okay. What does that verse say? Just kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> you, you want me to quote yeah, it? Yeah, just quote it. No, it says that uh, to, to take every thought captive. Yeah. Uh, what are some realistic ways uh, to do this to counter our culture? Yeah, well, I think, I think this is what's important, and this is why I mentioned it, and uh, this is not speaking of our own thoughts. Now that doesn't mean that there's not um, an application to taking our own thoughts captive, but that's not what Second Corinthians five is talking about. That's actually talking about if you put that in context. Um, and I'll read it here for you, not quote it because I didn't have it memorized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what are the what are the thoughts that are being taken captive here? It's not my own thoughts. It's the thoughts of others. It's the thoughts that others have and the arguments that they're making. We take those captive to Christ. Almost like what Paul just did. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what we did. That's why apologetics, which I love apologetics and kind of travel in that world a little bit um, in my reading and, and my background, my my seminary degree has a, a concentration in apologetics. Um, and so so I travel in that world a little bit, but that's that's part of taking every thought captive, but not not my own, although that's good too, right? I need to take my own thoughts and go, does that reflect Christ, reflect scripture, reflect a biblical worldview? But taking other people's thoughts captive. So we make arguments and Paul's making arguments, but they're empowered by the Holy Spirit and they are they are taking captive the things um, that that get in the way of the knowledge of God, right? So so it says, it says um, we demolish arguments, those are by others, and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. And so what's being done here is, is we destroy arguments that, that uh, come up against the knowledge of God and we take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. In other words, we bring back people back to truth that is found in Christ and in his word and in, in, and in the world he created. And we say, and we say these things are true and we do that by arguing in appropriate ways. Um, and then we, you know, punish acts of disobedience and your obedience is, um, uh, once your obedience is complete. And so, so there's this idea of, of taking those things captive. So people kind of get that confused. There's a, there's a similar passage, you know, in Romans, but, but this passage is talking about taking other people's thoughts that captive, not mine. Hmm. So I think that's really important for us to understand this passage in that way. Well, I think it's, no, you kind of mentioned that it does kind of make sense to why sometimes Christians in the cult in culture or even leaders in the church, it can when you're going after a thought and trying to make it captive. It's yeah. not always uh, a peaceful thing. It's not, and it's not always liked by the other party. And it's almost right. to like you said. You know, you're even though you make something obedient to Christ, which is a freeing thing. There is a sense of forcing obedience, hundred percent, to another master. Yes. And I think people don't like that. And I, you know, and I think that maybe that's sometimes why Christians do sometimes get the bad rap. But you even said to do it in an appropriate way. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can go after thoughts and other beliefs and and go after totally inappropriately and and do more damage. Yeah. And then obviously we can criticize those people. Say, hey, and you need to take it easy. Take it easy. What you're doing is is actually hurtful. And your yeah. your thoughts and your actions need to be obedient to Christ because that's not showing. His love, you know, yeah. but yeah, that is a, it's a really complicated thing. And I think, it's complicated. yeah, it's really hard to, it's hard to figure out. Well, and I think that another important aspect of this is that, is that when we take other people's thoughts captives and when we demolish bad arguments, um, by, by arguments that are true, uh, we, we, you know, we ought not deceive ourselves into thinking that everybody's going to like what we have to say. In other words, when we making people angry with us because we make a good argument and demolish another argument and take it captive for Christ. Um, making somebody else mad when we do that, well, that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we just, it's going to happen. So, so just because somebody gets upset doesn't mean you've done it wrong. That's true. That is true. Right. And so we just need to make that distinction. You may have done it right. Now you may have done it wrong, but you may have done it right. And that's where some discernment, uh, you know, we need to practice discernment. Was I honoring God? What was I loving people as I did that by presenting truth? Right. Okay. And, and, and doing that. Well, uh, any other resources you recommend, John, as we kind of wrap up? Well, you know, there's tons of good resources out there in the world of apologetics and, and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, one that I actually had my son reading, um, Oh, what was what was the name of it? It was, it was for kids, but oh. no, uh, 
a guy that uh, Jay Warner Wallace is the author of, of, of some books and he's a, an, a good apologist when it comes to understanding who God is and, and, and making good arguments. And so he's written a few books. And so I would, I would recommend him as far as any, any of the books that he's written, Jay Warner Wallace uh, would be good. And there's others as well. There's tons of others, but, but you know, some, some apologetics and, and beefing ourselves up on understanding of scripture and, and so that we can be part of taking thoughts captive. So I maybe would be good. the Bible would be a good resource. <laughs> well, you know, I could say that every week and oh, it'd, okay, be, bo- good, it'd good. be boring. So yeah, it's like the Sunday school answer, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, John, what's the big idea for uh, this week? Yeah. The big idea is it's not, it's not about the resume. It's about the reference. Thank you for joining us on the grace deep dive podcast, where we believe in real grace for real living. We'll see you next week.